Welcome back to There Will Be Movies. This is a podcast dealing with 25 of our favourite movies from A Chosen Decade. Volume 4 is the 1980s. This is episode 88. It is The Breakfast Club. Benjamin, how are you doing this Sunday morning other than hungry, other than, you know, getting tucked into this breakfast with me? I'm hungry, but also I want to complain about the title of this movie. Because there's no... Breakfast There's lunch. They eat, they eat lunch. They don't. Yeah, eat but breakfast. the lunch club sounds lame. I think they wasn't the working title for this movie. Like it was detention, and then I think at one point it was like the lunch bunch or something. Oh, it was like God. a working title, <laughs> and then the title comes from like John Hughes' son or whatever, referring to morning detention as the Breakfast Club. But this yeah. isn't morning detention. This they, is they full rock, Saturday detention. Yeah, they do rock up in the morning though. They do. I mean, a seven a.m. detention start time is early. Yep. Detention outside of school hours, not a thing, happens in the UK. May do in the US, who knows. Um, I'm just trying to think, what time, what time would you show up for school? Because I can't, I genuinely cannot, like genuinely cannot remember. Yeah, like eight, I feel like is when like, well, at my posh ass school, <laughs> like eight o'clock was when you would do like signing in, like you'd go sit down in your tutor group and then like 8.30 yeah. would be first lesson or whatever. Yeah, when I was at private school, it was more like that. And then when I, when I moved to quote unquote normal school, yeah, I would be there at like eight for nine kind of thing yeah so benjamin you mm-hmm. had never seen this movie before i had never seen this movie. an iconic piece of 80s americana highly influential on on the the cultural tastes of many people uh, yes. including myself it is obviously a movie that i have osmosis through yes do you so understand community now i understand community well i understand the pilot of community oh not just the pilot the, i know the calligraphy like, uh, the the bottle episode with the, with the pens yes i mean obviously there is there is more running through the entirety of community but obviously the, the first episode of community is very much oh like... yeah Albert does the uh he d- <laughs> i love he quotes two separate lines from john bender and he has to clean both of them up <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> no dad what about you obviously i mean the other thing that always is stuck in my head is obviously pitch perfect which yeah. is like when they watch breakfast club those are the two that are in my head as like massive massive cultural touchstones mm. that have like very much like indebted to this movie yeah. you got um, spider-man and, homecoming like everyone's yes. sort of loosely being like it's it's kind of led to breakfast and they recreate the this iconic poster um shot by annie Leibovitz. yeah so much influenced very heavily by breakfast club I would, enough, I would even wager, I would go as far as say Power Rangers 2017 <laughs> took some Breakfast Club as they all meet in detention together. And, you know, you've got the jock, you've got the nerd, you've got the... I mean, I know those those archetypes were set, like, a long time ago, but, yeah, still a little yeah. element of that so, in that movie. <laughs> so I'm going to say two things off the top of this. Go on. One is which... This movie is impeccably crafted. Yes. Like, like <laughs> it is so well done. It is so, like, attention-grabbing and stuff like that. And there are moments where you're just, like, impressed at the overall craft, at, yeah. like, how they're just structuring this thing and shooting this thing and making it feel so much more than it probably could have been if it was kind of like, like a TV show bottle episode kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The other thing this movie made me feel is just deeply, deeply, deeply uncomfortable. <laughs> like, for the entirety <laughs> of its runtime. Like, especially coming, especially coming into it and knowing that it's Judd Nelson doing the fucking like punch the air at the end and the freeze frame and and all the rest of it, and then when his character is what his character is, including threatening to rape Molly Ringwald in like his first couple of lines of dialogue, 
getting a panty shot and then never really have the softening moment that I kind of expected to come throughout the entire movie and then also getting the girl at the end. He, um, he softens. Anyway. He um, softens a little bit, but like... <laughs> yeah, he's, I, I he's was, a colossal waiting, dick and like was apparently for... he was between takes as well and like John Hughes had to be talked out of firing him, so... <laughs> I, there was there was one point where I was like, oh, I feel like they've actually finally gotten to his like softening point, and yeah. he's finally like getting to, to along with them. And then he has his like final outburst at Molly Ringwald, where he's just like calling her a bitch, and like she's and he's rewarded up. with possibly sex in a locked office. Who knows? Maybe they just kiss a bit. Um, yeah, he he is a huge dick, and like. You know, there is a scene where a teacher threatens to physically assault a student and is like, yep. no one will ever believe you. <laughs> but that's John Hughes. Like, they have this reputation of uh, all of his movies. It's like, you know, they're these kind of, like, soft, like, like fun, teen, youthful, like, almost wholesome. You watch every one of them. There's something a little bit sinister going on with every single one of them. They're more adult than they are, like, remembered as being. Um, and this is no exception. I think but without John second... Bender, we would not have Bart Simpson, so... No, that is very true. He does say, eat my shorts. And just, in general, is very clearly just a PG John Bender. Like, um, you know, down to, like, the traps in the locker and, like, the general demeanour and everything. But, yeah. I don't know if that's actually true, but, like, to me, I've always thought, like, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. Very, very much an influence on kind of, like, Matt Groening, you have to imagine. But I'm also sat there going, like, but Bart isn't a bully, and it definitely feels like this guy Mm. is a bully, or is he too much of, like, a stoner to be a bully? I think he's, like, on the fringes of society, man. But yeah, like, he doesn't. He he will he will fight you, but he isn't gonna like go after a nerd because he's explicitly a yeah. nerd. But like in The Simpsons, Bart is kind of like bully adjacent. Like I know he gets bullied himself at times, but there are times where he's like in a like foursome with the bullies kind of thing or a fivesome, um, and he's more on that end than he is with. Well, actually, I guess he's friends with Martin. Anyway, so yeah, John Hughes obviously made this movie. <laughs> Very difficult to imagine anyone else making it. His second directorial effort it planned to be his first struggled to get it made because he had no directing experience therefore is like it's going to cost a million dollars and we're going to shoot it in one place with seven people so like and like so 16 candles is his bound and this is his matrix (laughs) i guess yeah but i feel 16 candles is like actually a bigger production in the end, and I think maybe just some stuff got shifted around. I really don't know. Uh, yeah, Sixteen Candles was made for six point five million dollars. Yeah, yeah, and this is one, literally one million. Which I guess it feels like probably a more involved production for this one, but because they're not having to move sets and stuff like that, and it's literally just like, hey, can we use your school? Yeah, on four weekends. Cheaper for the studio, less risk, young cast, no big names to like, you know, embarrass. Although at one point they had Nicolas Cage reading for John Bender and. John Cusack had the role until Hughes took a look at him in the costume and was like, nah, you look like a fucking dork, so (laughs) we're going to get this guy that does look like he could beat me up. Yeah, all kinds of stuff going on there. But yeah, and then, you know, an icon is is born. Like, you know, obviously he's he's been writing for big movies up till now. Sixteen Candles is obviously another one that a lot of people really love. For me, there's never been a contest between Breakfast Club and Sixteen Candles, but... You know, weird science is to come. He doesn't direct Pretty in Pink, but, you know, very obviously has his fingerprints all over it. Ferris yeah. Bueller, tremendously popular. Planes, Trains and Automobiles. Uncle Buck. 
and then we're out of the 80s, so... I mean, that's the thing, is, like, his his 80s run is kind of unmatched. Like, yeah. like he has got... I think every single one of his movies that he directs in the 80s is an enduring pop culture classic. I don't know like, anything about she's having a baby. No, maybe I'm just blanking on it. Let me. Oh, no, that is, that, is, that is the one which is kind of like it falls yeah. out of the... <laughs> I know what mixed reviews means. <laughs> uh, and then, obviously, he does Curly Sue in 91, and yeah. then he does not direct a movie after Curly Sue. Nope. Yeah, but like he obviously is a writer on like Home Alone. Like he yeah. he just he he was in the pocket for like ten years. Yeah, you know you know when he's had <laughs> when he's touched a movie. Like they they are all of a type of a feel. They have all been, as we said, like just absorbed into the cop into the pop culture. Like you know Pantheon and like you know parodied to death. Not another teen movie. Heavily borrowing from Breakfast Club among other things. You know, a million parodies from, yeah, Community and and Family Guy and you know even as I said, Spider Man. Like the the big fucking point was like, oh yeah, we we wanted to find a cast and make them feel like like the Breakfast Club, and we made yeah. them live together and watch the Breakfast Club and and all this. Stuff. I mean, like you you literally watch because obviously the Community pilot comes out mm-hmm. after his death. Like or they film yeah. before his death and it comes out after his death. I think is what happens. Yeah. So the the pilot community is actually in memorial to to John Hughes. Yeah. You've got like One Tree Hill has episodes that are in memoriam oh, to yeah. him. You've got like the Goldbergs Ready Player One. Just mm-hmm. so much. Like if you're doing something that is even vaguely nostalgic for the '80s, either you're doing the kind of the action horror stuff that we've touched on more mm-hmm. over the course of the early episodes of this podcast, or you're doing a John Hughes riff. Yeah, and I think um, it, I think it's impossible to be in like neither of those pockets and still feel like you're yeah. you're dedicated to the eighties. And we have really hit in this last run of like three or four episodes, and it will continue a pocket of like this is the fucking eighties. Like we, I think we've either talked about it on this podcast or it's just been talked about in general by us. But like a decade may start with a zero and end with a nine, but culturally speaking, it doesn't become what it is until like you know three four five kind of thing and yeah, they, I mean, they, they you, bleed you, over like the early 90s is still very 80s um, yeah you watch you watch something like Mad Men yeah. and the early episodes of Mad Men when you're expecting like oh we all know what the 60s are the 60s are Beatles and free love and hippies and psychedelic colors and stuff like that yeah. and then the early Mad Men episodes are still like everyone's in buttoned up suits yeah and, it's yeah. all there's just so much hangover of the 50s yeah. until you get to like the 1964 whatever when the Beatles are starting to get big and yeah. that's when you get this just huge yeah cultural shift and, and again the, yeah as you say it is here like yeah. we are now firmly in this run of movies that feel like the 80s yeah. rather than they're kind of riffing on yeah. new hollywood of the 70s Gremlins, like shines for yeah. karate kid all the, all this stuff is all very 80s what we've got next week is extremely 80s but you look back at like an episode we did early like thief thief feels like a 70s movie yeah. because it basically is or um, they feel like a little bit stripped out of time, like yeah. Shining, Raiders of the Lost Ark, The Thing, Blade Runner. They're all like not in a contemporary place, but now yeah. we're in this firm pocket of like the cultural references and a yeah. lot of these movies are going to be things that we think of as the 80s yeah. going forward. For sure. So speaking of things we think of as the 80s, uh, we will have two stops in 1985. Uh, if you have any wherewithal about what comes out when, I'm pretty sure you can figure out what next week's episode is. But, Benjamin, why don't you tell me about the year of 1985 in movies? What was well-liked? What was well-liked? We got Shoah. 
Right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, no. Uh, Come and see, which is obviously now heralded as one of the greatest anti-war movies of all time. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever heard someone say they watched that movie and came away feeling like they could feel happiness ever again. Um, uh, it's on me and my partner's list of movie to watch coming up soon. Cool. Um, cool. I'm Let me know really if the ex- wedding is still on after. <laughs> will do uh you got brazil terry gilliam which mm. obviously is kind of like a huge uh, yeah. probably the, the high point of his post python career there may have been a verge i think i had brazil in the maybe pile the whole time yeah. i was making our list <laughs> um akira kurosawa's ran mm. um a little movie called back to the future <laughs> not much not much to say on that one uh edward yang making his like one of his big debuts with taipei story and of course breakfast club kind of like down the bottom movie it's an interesting year because it mm. feels like the stuff is fluctuating between really big culturally important movies from international directors mm. and then real hardcore americana nostalgia yeah. cultural definition movies with like back to the future and breakfast club i was gonna say like i mean i i think it's no coincidence that us hitting that pocket of god this feels 80s recently is also like very tied to like americana's back baby and then like yeah well, there yeah. are some international movies starting to creep back in after maybe a bit of a lull yeah, we're, but we're heading into this point where, like, and I think that's that's going to be an interesting dichotomy over the next couple episodes. Is there is a nostalgia creeping into some of these movies mm-hmm. now in terms of in terms of looking back, and obviously you've got like the thirty year cycles of. Um, if you really can't tell what movie we're doing next week, then I really have nothing to tell. Like, no idea what to tell you. Yes, they do spend most of Back to the Future being like, "God, wasn't life better in the fifties?" The thirty-year cycle, where every single every year is like you're looking back thirty years. We're at that point now where like early yeah. n- early nineties nostalgia is kind of like. I mean, it almost feels like we've actually accelerated, and we're almost at early two thousands. Like know, even even we. Grim. We were at like five years ago, and BoJack Horseman was doing an episode set in two thousand seven, uh-huh. which um, which just feels weird. But yeah, and then you have this movie, which, as I text you very early this morning, just saying like, "Is this yes. like the definitive Gen X movie?" Obviously, there's like Dazed and Confused and stuff like that, like in the nineties and whatnot. But like, when I think about the the kind of the apathy and the the pessimism. That kind of like exemplifies Gen X. This feels like it is writ large, which makes it even funnier that no one involved in the production of this movie, a Generation X person, like uh, all of the actors, of the actors are boomers. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall was like no, Molly Ringwald was like sixteen. Anthony, Anthony, Michael... Ma- Anthony Michael Hall is fifty-four right now, born in nineteen sixty-eight. So he's yeah. like, so he would have been seventeen years old. So like, yeah. like they're they're on the cusp of terms of like Molly Ringwald of... and Anthony Michael Hall were, were the young two. Um, and then the others are like 23, 24, 25. I'm just trying to think because obviously, Gen, like, when is Gen X kind of like? I always I'm assume really Gen X is the like, early 70s. So, Gen X. Generally defined 65 to 80 is when you're right, born. Right. Okay. So, there's, so there's a couple to early, early Gen X. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think Gen X, I think, like, you don't, under, you don't understand me, mom. Like, and then, well, I don't know. It's difficult. I, I never. What we now call millennials growing up, I was always of the impression that was still gen x with like the rise of grunge and mtv and like pepsi commercials where people are skateboarding and like yeah like you don't understand me mom and like all of that but like well, I, it's well, now watched... been sort of redefined a little bit with gen x and millennials having a hard line between them when i'm like i don't know man i oh, feel no, no, the line's <laughs> definitely blurred because it was a really interesting video i watched about kind of like the difference between gen x and millennials and how mm. like the different the one of the core differences we grew up 
with technology. Like if you're born in 1981 to 1996, yeah. like you are coming of age as a teenager in which computers and social media and all the rest of it are like a presence in your life. Maybe not yeah. your entire life, but like you would have grown up. No, but like you're on like, you're on some kind of messaging service every single day, talking to every single person you know at school. You know, you're starting to get phones. You're you're texting people on weekends and stuff, and yeah, and then like you know the internet is starting to come in, all of that stuff, and like I yeah, I think it's difficult because you know everyone is biased towards themselves because how can you not be? But like I'm I am thankful that like I look at how it is now, where there are like babies that can operate touch screens and try and touch like books to swipe them and stuff. Like like you you the their default nowadays is you have an iPad for your child yeah. and that is their entertainment when yeah. they're like sat in a high chair. And like children weird. exclusively watch YouTube and do yeah. not watch anything. Oh my god. I heard from my partner, I can't remember if it was like a friend or she'd seen it from the internet. So if I'm stealing valor for somebody we peripherally know i apologize but their kid fell asleep very young child and in their sleep was saying like and subscribe or something like that. it's just Christ. like or like tv is dead long live youtube it's but yeah, it's grim but, yeah, I, but yeah. I, watched, I watched a really interesting video in terms of like the the line between gen x and millennial and they were talking about mm. daria <laughs> is, a, is a TV show, one hundred percent made by people born during Gen X. Yeah, like like just in terms of what their creative vision is, and like Gen oh, and Daria is very much coded in that way that we think of Gen X people in terms of like the 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 flannel and like yeah, that's that. to me that is the aesthetic I grew up like observing and like I was I know I was too young, but like you know I'm watching stuff where that is the youth culture they're targeting, and I'm like yeah, that's me. And it's yeah. the culture I've grown up sort of like subconsciously emulating. But yeah. I know I'm a millennial. And then and like that, whenever the anyone talks is... about millennials, they're actually talking about people younger than millennials. Because millennials are like fucking 40 now. Yes, <laughs> millennials start in 1981, end in 1996. Like yeah. millennials are now in that kind of like 30 to 40 zone in but terms it's because, of their lives. It's because right-wing people are always like 15 years behind culturally. So like yes. they just mean young person. And they talk about Starbucks and skinny jeans, which... You know, young people are like doing nitro cold brew and like <laughs> not even wearing jeans. But that's the interesting thing about Daria is like when you do the maths on like if she's a high school student explicitly set in the late nineties, mm -hmm. she's a she's a millennial. <laughs> like like she is a millennial. Like even if it is Gen X putting their point of view because they're old enough yeah. to be creatives, they are making a show about a millennial yeah. dealing with with things that are going to be like associated with millennials. And that's yeah. when this like weird cultural thing happens, where like this is a movie that comes out when millennials are kind of like just being born. They're kind of like four to five years old. So this is still very much kind of like Gen Xers. The oldest level of Gen Xers are going to be about twenty years old yeah. around when this movie comes out. So very much this is speaking to their experiences of high school, presumably. Yeah, and I think it's... that's what makes this like a lightning bolt for yeah. that. And, um, and their big, their big bonding moment. You know, when they've all they've gotten high, they've, they're coming down. They're all just sitting together. When they all realize, hey, we all have the same parental pressures and school worries. It's all in direct response to trying to be the child of a baby boomer and, like, you know, a generation that had it all and then, like, you know, have, yeah, have the, raised their children with the same expectations. The, but, like, the, the money, greatest, you know, Reagan is coming along yeah. to fuck everything up. So. The greatest economic boom yeah. the entire Western world begetting a generation of children who are basically expected to have 
the same career trajectory and also just achieved to the maximum of their capabilities yeah. from a generation who will be looking back and going like, well, I didn't have fire <laughs> for my entire childhood. <laughs> yeah. And like, you back know, when, back when I was young, summers were really hot and winters were really cold. Just have an ice cream, all this woke weather. Um, and, and, you know, I bought a house for my wife who didn't have a job and our three children off my salary at a factory. Why can't you have a house? <laughs> Just spend five minutes googling literally anything. But yeah, that's what yeah. makes this movie. Like, obviously, all of the problems this movie are literally their parents. Like, yes. the entire movie is peer pressure and parents. So, um, I mean, it, it it is a giant bottle episode. You know, as you said, like it's a it's a masterclass in like structure and adds. You know, long time listeners, I I go in for gimmicks. Anything set in one place in like almost real time or in a short space of time, small casts, all that kind of thing. I think because it has such a small cast, we can't help but, like, just go down this list. So, like, you know, we, we have this group of five kids who are in Saturday detention with, with their teacher, Paul Gleason, as as Richard Vernon, who, you know, he and the janitor fucking have the the kids have changed, no, you have changed kind of argument near the end that, like, hey, maybe a lot of grumpy adults who hate all young people should maybe have that conversation with themselves. But yeah, I mean, have... the, 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 the telling line is when when he goes, like, I'm terrified to see these people run the country. Yeah, and, like, they will have and to then, look and, after and me when I'm old. Like, they're not going to look after you. Exactly, like, yeah. If you, if you are acting the way that you're acting now, they're not going to look after you. Yeah. If you're treating people with this much contempt, and I think it's depressing how much that line sticks on, because yeah. there is just a general, I wouldn't say antagonism, yeah. but I would definitely <laughs> say there is, like, a, a general hope in a lot of people our generation which is like all of these people who are like holding the world back are gonna die yep. and there is gonna be a huge cultural shift it does in the, next, <clears throat> in the next 20 to 30 years too late for us to appreciate it yeah. but like the the economic shift that is going to happen yeah when an awful lot of these people who are still alive and who are voting for things that are counterfactual to like yeah. what will actually benefit the world yeah is, and like it's gonna happen yeah and you see all of this as well where it's like oh yeah no young people are why the world it's like young people don't have any fucking power the people who make every decision are fucking like 70 years old white men and anyway i super agree with the point he's getting out of like you how you end your life will be the sum total of how you lived it and you lived you have lived a bad life or you were bad to people you were very shitty to to young people and the your reward for that will be you will probably die alone and like it sounds harsh as fuck, but, like, you don't get to just be a colossal dickhead for decades and then expect to have the, like, and then he died with all of his loved ones around him kind of thing. Don't um, expect respect if you're not able to, yeah. like, give the respect that people deserve and stuff like that. And I think yeah. that is still a message that is very poignant and needed yeah. in, in today's we, society. We have this... Uh, she's, like, tangent... I guess she's family, but it's, like, very extended family. And she was, like, the youngest of, like, seven siblings or something like that. They're all dead. She was by far the youngest, so she's still going. She is a horrible, horrible woman. Like, racist, like, hardcore racist, like, pro-Brexit, all, all the bad stuff. And, like, my mother and my father both, like, spend, like, two hours on the phone to her because she won't take a hint and hang up. Um, and, like, they go and visit her sometimes, and it's just non-stop, like, oh... I had the worst time. It was horrible. We argued. And I'm like, just stop talking to her. And I'm like, oh, but she's all alone. I'm like, yeah, 
that's her fault. Like, <laughs> like she has, has written this check for herself and, like, you're not going to change her in her 90s and make her suddenly stop being hardcore racist. Anyway, so, yeah, we, we have that teacher. We have these five kids who have been sentenced to Saturday all-day detention. Um, we have Emilio Estevez, the only one in the Sheen family who's not a coward. Um, <laughs> Carlos Estevez is... I was like, what? Anyway, uh, here's Andrew Clark. He is our jock. He bullied a kid uh, and got sentenced to detention. Uh, we have uh, Anthony Michael Hall as Brian. He is our nerd. He brought a flare gun to school to try and kill himself with because he failed shop class. DT in this... What are we What are we all calling yeah, it over here? Tech, Woodwork? Tech, tech, tech DT? Yeah, design technology. We have Judd Nelson, the iconic John Bender, the, the you know, the generic stoner burnout criminal. Ben touched on some of what's going on there. Uh, I think he pulled an alarm or something because i mean he he earns like fire alarm and i was expecting there to be a moment that like because obviously there's a moment in this movie when they're running through the halls Mm -hmm. in a way in which i have no fucking idea what this school looks like or how it's structured because they are not running in any way it becomes scooby-doo for a couple of minutes (laughs) and it rules they're like skidding around corners and stuff (laughs) and they keep on running into the the vice principal and you're like how how is he like doing this he can't be everywhere yeah. But yeah, it's the moment where like he goes like, oh, they've run into the the the, the wall or the the, the fence, the or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you he's, think like, he's gonna pull the alarm again or something? <laughs> well, no, it's just like he, t- he goes like, take the weed. I'm gonna like sacrifice myself to, for a worse punishment for you guys. Yeah. I was expecting the shoe to drop and it to be revealed that he did that for someone else again. Mm. Like, yeah. like tense sense of loyalty for people who he's close to. But there's no re- like. The thing is, I just kept on waiting for the other shoe to drop with his there character. Is... Kept on waiting for like it to be revealed that he again is intensely loyal, or for him to have like an actual heart to heart with Molly Ringwald, where like he reveals reveals some deep-seated truth and actually opens up fully. I, I think there is some subtext of that happening. Like, when they get into the conversation about, are we all going to be friends on Monday? And, like, he very clearly has some issues with, like, classism and social status and, and all that. And, like, he is very fiercely loyal to his friend group and, like, resents the idea of, you know, he's like, you wouldn't even talk to us, basically. Rather than, like, don't worry about me acknowledging you. You wouldn't talk to us ever, kind of thing. So I think and there it, is some of that there. There, there. there is definitely some of it. It's definitely hinting around it and all the rest of it. And I'm not saying that, like, <laughs> this quote-unquote therapy lesson for these five need to solve all of their issues yeah. in in one day or whatever it is, because that would just be unrealistic. I mean, my, my main thing was about, I think we got about an hour into the movie, and I was just like, they all need therapy. <laughs> like, all, all of these people need therapy. Yeah. They need therapy. A generation <laughs> needed therapy. Weird, huh? But yeah, like I just, I, because of how hard Bender comes on in this movie, yeah. I was just like, I just a fraction more softening yeah. to him in this kind of like last run because everyone else feels like they have like an epiphany or I, a moment of kind of like self-reflection and he he fights back at his i feel and... like it's all coming through in the body language and the facial expression and the the you know the the non-verbal acting for me is is, is judd nelson's work on that is what softens it the dialogue ghoulish horrible <laughs> a monster but i think he does find pockets to like make this a skit, you know, I, I look at like when the principal threatens to beat him up and you're like, yeah, he's fucking terrified. And like, you are very clearly seeing, 
you know, he tells the story about his dad knocking him around and stuff. And it's like, in that moment, it's very clear that's true. When they were all like, nah, there's no way that's true kind of thing. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a thing of like, someone who's taller than him, he will like, cower from if they threaten yeah. physical violence. Which is why he brings the knife out on on Clark. Yeah, and yeah, and, and like, you know, even in that moment, he's like, oh, I'd kick your ass, man. And, and then like, he immediately, obviously takes him down. And then even then, he's like, oh no, I'd kill you if we had a fight. And it's like, it's all just show. It's all just, anyway. Yeah. Rounding out the cast, we have Molly Ringwald, you know, John Hughes's most famous muse as Claire, the the princess who skipped school to go shopping. <laughs> she was asked to read for Alison and cried and threw a hissy fit and got to be Claire. Um, when they had, like, Robin Wright on deck, Jodie Foster, Laura Dern, all ready to read for Claire, but anyway. Uh, and then Ali Sheedy as Alison Reynolds, who they label a a basket case in the in the iconic you know the, the essay they are forced to write about who are you and they're like we are this 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 and this we are the breakfast club she's just a cool weird goth chick and like <laughs> i love the sort of cultural re reevaluation that has occurred around this where we all agree the biggest glow down in the history of cinema oh, yes. is when she gets that makeover and it's like yeah you've ruined her <laughs> yeah it's genuinely awful and the movie is acting like look at this we've made her attractive and i'm like what the fuck are you talking about she looks so much more uncomfortable and, and not herself. but i also just have to have this moment of like for years i have mm. heard people talk about this movie and yeah. talk about their crush on ali sheedy yes same <laughs> and i watch this movie and i'm like you don't get it. Not that I don't get it. I okay. understand this is an attractive person. Yeah. I'm more made uncomfortable by the way that she acts and how kind of like childlike she is. There is that element when she's like making the sandwich and it's like sugar and sugar. <laughs> it's like a yeah, sugar like, sandwich. Yeah, sugar and cereal, whatever it is. Yeah. There is. Just a moment where I'm like, she is a child. And there are there is an entire generation of people who were like, "This was my original childhood crush," and you're like, "Is, is this the original I manic think, pixie dream girl?" Yeah, I'm, yes. To be honest, I think it is the like, just kind of she's just like super unpredictable and like un. Oh, no, this is some... she's very uninhibited. Yeah, and and I can I, like on a, on a level when she starts to open up and actually like is is espousing her thoughts rather than making random noises and being a <laughs> kleptomaniac. Yeah, her first line is twenty five minutes in, and it's a it's just ha, and then like it takes even longer than that for her to speak like meaningful lines. Yeah, she's a habitual liar. She she's a social outcast. She doesn't have friends. She, but, She's weird. She, she, she's here because her parents don't pay attention to her, and so she can just say to them, "I have detention," and no one would bat an eyelid. Yeah, yeah. She reveals she's here for the fun of it, or not even the fun. Just I have nothing better to do is how she phrases it. But it's yeah, she she just fucks with them all constantly. I think that is what people like about her because like this is also like a character that like a lot of I'll say quote straight <laughs> women really attached to this character as well. And I think just because she's just so weird and, like, I think there has been a kind of cultural... And I think, you know, it is the the blur between Gen X and Millennial where weird becomes good and cool and, like, authentic in a way that, you know, we have the jock and the priss here and, like, we are now, like, programmed to dislike them when once upon a time, you know, these are, like, the ideal upstanding members of the of the academic world. 
I mean, um, yeah, I mean, like you you watch a show like fifteen years later when Freaks and Geeks comes out, yeah, and, and they're just the main, nothing the but Ali Sheedy. Yeah, Sheedy's. the main characters of the show are is is it's Ali Sheedy, it's Bender, and it's and it's Brian. Yeah, like exactly. that is that is who the show is based around. It's those three styles of characters. Like yeah. Ali Sheedy is very much like the, the Allison and Linda Cardellini have a lot of DNA in common. Obviously, mm-hmm. like I feel that like Linda Cardellini is softened and not coded as <laughs> mentally ill. Yeah, um, in a, in a way that is as problematic as the early present presentation of Ali Sheedy. I think in this it's movie. more that like she's. I think what they're getting at is because she has been denied a like social life, and like actual. I mean, we don't know if she is exaggerating the degree to which her parents ignore her. I think it's kind of like stunted her like social behavior more than like she's actually childlike because. I mean, the discussion of sex, where she, like, claims she's, like, banging her therapist and she'd do anything with anyone, and then she's like, no, I'm, I'm a virgin. But, like, it, it does kind of show a level of, like... Like, there's clearly, like, a sharper mind there that, like, stops it from being, this is a child. Yeah, it just, it, it just feels very emblematic of of the kind of the ways in which we used to talk about, like, mental health and all the yeah, rest of it. Yeah, in, in think... terms of, like, they're short-coding this into yes. ways that just feel a little bit, like, ooh... Like, Maybe like, she's autistic in the fun way, kind of. You yeah, know, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, but there's just this level of like you get kind of like ten, fifteen years down the line, and like so many, I can one hundred percent see why neurodivergent or or like people with with mental health issues yeah. would associate with this character. I just yes. think it's 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 a very proto form of yeah. what we will actually nail as an actual. Yeah. main character focal point of an awful lot of media that comes out in the wake of people who are like Gen X, Millennials, Gen Z starting to actually create this content and putting this kind of woman front and centre into into their works. Like I, I definitely feel like, like this is the beginning of a character archetype that will basically be who the leads of an awful lot of these kind of like comedy shows and, yeah. and, and sh- things will be going forward. I think, yeah. I think, you know, you see, and also, like, you know, you're right on, like, the creative front, but, like, you also just see, like, a generation of people who, like, constantly kind of shitpost and are openly depressed, and, like, they, and, you know, everything is ironic and, and everything, and they, they fucking love Alison Reynolds, and, um, so we have our five. They are all in detention together for the whole of Saturday. Uh, they are tasked with writing an essay. They are told they cannot talk. And Vernon does just the worst job of enforcing that rule as they just openly spend the entire time talking, shouting, everything. I'm shocked that he decides to go sit in another room and do nothing. Yeah. Because, like, like, I feel like if I was that teacher, I would just come sit in with at a, a desk. Like, or... Sit with a book, with a book or whatever it is. And obviously, yeah. he doesn't seem like the kind of person who reads. No, no. And he's, like, he's, he's more fucking... interested in snooping around the school. Yeah. <laughs> how fucking bored is this guy in this empty building where the only other adult is the janitor who, like, he is openly hostile to? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the janitor does catch him snooping through, like, their personal files and... And, and... and saying some really problematic shit about, like, yeah. some of the other students. Yeah. Oh, no wonder this kid's doing that thing. Like, yeah. it's just like... Mm. But, like, this is why I'm like, why would you even have Saturday detention? Because, like, in the week, there's probably stuff he can be doing. But, like, he... It's almost a bigger punishment on him. They get to form some friendship, you know, and, like, dance around and get high. I mean, I know he doesn't want them to be doing any of that, but, like... They at least have each other. And he's just fucking... 
I mean, I guess that's the point. He doesn't even realise that he's like you know punishing himself more than them. But yeah, very funny. So, to me so that he's just obviously sort of this sitting is... fifty feet away in this this library that looks like a fucking museum. It's fucking yep. enormous. You know, we'll have to ask our good friend Jerome about the Chicago school system and then <laughs> if all schools are just these aircraft hangers in size. But yeah, you, everything you would predict happens happens and you know you you are right there there is a level of discomfort coming emanating from John Bender at all times but in general just hijinks and poignant conversation that a lot of which still rings true to this day and yeah we have these these character archetypes and yeah you just put them together. I, it's I, a it's a bottle episode like yeah. you know. I'm now <laughs> trying to find out the construction of this school because mm. apparently the school ran from 1970 to 1981 it's it's the main north high school northwest of chicago so this was legit a school's library yeah what, but like it's shut down <laughs> it's a shut down school they filmed the exteriors yeah, at. i don't yeah, know whether yeah. it's oh, exteriors okay. at or whatnot after just closing main north was used for location location shooting the library scenes of the movie was shot in the school gymnasium where a set was constructed right so it's not the real library. It is still a big fucking gym, though. Big <laughs> it's got gym. like they, they, they then go to the gym also in the movie where yeah. I think when Ben was playing basketball. But I'm more <laughs> like, are they all supposed to be in the same school year, or are they like from from different school years? Literally like, no way to tell. <laughs> there is literally no way to tell. But there's this Woodman Willow, and obviously I went to a school that presumably had a smaller student populace. Like my school, had, my school had about 650 pupils in total across seven years of education from okay. the ages yeah. of 11 to 18. So like less yeah. than 100 pupils per, per year. I mean, yeah, I went from one that was like 500 to then I think it was hovering closer to a thousand or something like that. And but that for like probably was... like a probably a smaller chunk of time as well. Like yeah, it went yeah, yeah. a thousand for like four years worth of education. <laughs> But, not quite that extreme but yeah like it was a it was a big shock to see all the class sizes get so much bigger and everything but yeah i had this moment where like, i know or i knew in my school year like of you the knew every single person in your i knew year. every yeah. single person in my year's name like yeah. i would see them we would be in classes like i was in a class with at least almost every single person i was in the school year for yeah and then to to have this movie where like some of them don't even know their names i mm-hmm. don't even know whether or not i fucking love that scene I was like hey he has a name What's your name? (laughs) Because the immediate clash is between Andrew and John, you know, to be the alpha male, to, like, show off to Claire, and just, you know, Andrew's been brainwashed into being, like, a, you know, the all-American boy, and, like, you know, drugs are for fucking degenerates and and all of this stuff. If he has to do a a pee test, though, before his next wrestling meet, then... Mm. He's not in a good way. I don't think they drug test uh, high school children. <laughs> I don't know. The American... They the might American now, sports, but they, I the don't American think they did. The sports system's a little bit fucked up when they're, like... I sincerely hope a doctor is not making children pee into cups in, in every school in America. Yeah, but, but then you get knows? to, like, you get to college sport level and they're, yeah, like, they have to so test much them. money off them and they're essentially slave labouring these people who get no money for it yes. on, on yes. the promise that maybe they'll get to, like, the NFL or the NBA at some point. Yes, Absolutely. But yeah, they they clash instantly, and I forget how... Oh yeah, and of of course he's like trying to defend everyone from John Bender. But then it's like, arguably he is worse than all of them. Like, he is... (laughs) He has like gross attitudes towards sex. Like, he is the one that chimes in and is like, every girl is a tease, just very subtly, and he just gets away with that one. And yeah, I just... I think that's the stuff I like about it, is that it is kind of shining this light on like, all these social groups and like 
how they're all not quite as they're stereotyped for decades in movies and TV. Yeah, he is He is the one who's saying the, the more damaging things because his are the yeah. things that are, like, culturally rise to the top. Yeah. Like, like, well, ev- yeah, as, like as I said, every, everything that it comes out of Bender's mouth feels like it's a provocative statement. He is trying to get a rise out of people. He is trying to get you to step up to him because yeah. he doesn't know how to engage with other people and yep. so like you kind of have to take every single thing that he says not at face value because he doesn't he... mean any of it he's just he's just he's showing off he's he's putting up the wall and everything and like that is i understand it is still super fucking gross but like for me i've always he doesn't mean any of it like he's the sort of person that you could imagine in kind of like 10 15 years has actually like settled down has a good healthy relationship is now yeah. like he finally po- cried like, and then that was yeah, it right yeah he's <laughs> now like writing poetry and like is in like a good stable relationship having therapy to kind of like get past the abuse he's will hunting you know like you know complete with the you know when we're talking about the loyalty to his friends like robin williams being like he would you know he would take a bat to anyone you know any of them would do anything for him kind of thing but andrew andrew clark is one of those people who like oh absolutely he fucking... would he would he would go for elected office and yeah. like never be told off for his points of view on women and stuff like that it, it's, it's, not it's even... that or like you know he is some like alcoholic you know he's john bender's dad and like yeah. you know all, all of his glory days are when he was on the wrestling team in high school and everything there's also a level of like he chooses to sit next to to claire yeah they know and... each other they they all they are know of each other she's they, like oh you don't know what it's like to be me and andrew like the friends we have what we have to you know we have to maintain the facade of popularity even if we don't agree with any of it and it definitely feels like they know of each other more than they know each other and i don't know if that's yeah. like a traditional kind of like even in these groups, even when they are engaging in sexual relationships or like dating these people, they don't actually like mix. No, I don't think. I, I think it's like the jocks and the cheerleaders, or, or you know, the the prom queen candidates. They're like in the same area, but like probably just glancing at each other across the room, kind of thing. Yeah, and so like when he goes like, "Oh, are you coming to the party later?" Yeah. It's hard to tell whether or not is it because he knows she'll be there because they've got the same tangential friendship group, or is it because like they actually hang out outside of i think i think i think he has a crush on her or like he's trying to make the best of this situation and be like oh i could use this to hit on claire and like you know he's clearly competing with bender even before bender makes it very obvious that he does have a crush on her yeah i also Um, have to make the one complaint is why is this not a six person movie eh. there's only only five types of people then (laughs) (laughs) i know but it just feels weird to end this movie with two relationships formed and they've and peer, pressured, they've peer pressured they've peer pressured and bullied this kid who who literally a few hours ago admitted he was going trying to, to kill, kill himself. He was trying to yes. kill himself. Like he is far more down the line than any of these other four. All these other four have got issues and this kid is just like he tried yeah, to I'm... unalive himself. But with a flare gun though. So I mean I'm sure that would still kill you if you put that in your fucking mouth, but like Yes. Yeah, and they make him write their essay, which is like <laughs> there's so no point poignant. All, there's no point in us all writing an essay. <laughs> I mean, she's a master manipulator. I'll give her that. Is she expecting him to write five thousand words, or is nah, he just going to do the one thousand? The essay doesn't seem that long, though, based on like the end credits. I yeah, was... and also it's an American essay, so I mean, you know, his handwriting's tiny. When I was like looking at it, he's just like like really, really, it's tiny. really going for that. It's like mm, you write like a forty-year-old man. <laughs> It's, it's odd. I'm also trying to think like a thousand word essay. I feel like would be like two sides of a four. Yeah, 
a piece maybe of paper. Maybe just my handwriting's big. I don't. It's been a while. Yeah, since I've got like, very small handwriting. It's been a while since like I did the eight a.m. I've got an essay due at nine. Quickly, can I like quickly scribble this out quickly? Yeah. The, the next lesson starts. We we had a workshop at work the the other week, and like I it hit me. I haven't used a pen in like a legit over two years because of lockdown. Because I'm like, I don't write anything down anywhere but like on my phone or on a computer in my own life. I avoid pens where I can. As you know, as we covered when we did Doctor Strange and you were legit like, yeah, your handwriting's about as bad as the guy who's had his hands surgically repaired. <laughs> and it is, and I admit that. I do take notes, but the notes are only for me, so my handwriting isn't great. But I, just, like, I, 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 do take, I do take written notes. I guess I have post-it notes, but I don't think I've even done any of that recently. Anyway, um, yes, they do bully Brian into writing the essay for them and they all just go couple up. I mean, it I, would I be nice a, if there was someone for him, but... It, it's a big indictment of Andrew Clark that, like, the the first moment it feels like he's willing to, like, give Ali Sheedy a chance is when she comes out in that fucking, like, yep. awful do, and it's like, boy... She, yeah. she is not he's the worst one she's not gonna know how to do her makeup tomorrow she'll be back to her goth look and... yeah but I think he's actually like again the writing is impeccable like the 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 attention to body language and everything they code it they, they signpost it from the first minute and I assume they thought they were being super subversive and clever like right instead of the, the jock and the and the prom queen and like the two outsiders ending up together. What if we switched couples? And I, oh, how poignant. But like, they give that away straight away because like, they are all constantly exchanging glances and like, Andrew and Alison are like constantly, whether anyone else has seen it or not, like smiling at each other's comments and like, you know, that kind of stuff. Like they are sent off to go get the drinks together and, and yeah, like they are throughout. So I think like, you know, he could make it work with his, his goth girlfriend. Um, and again, like that has now become a thing. Like goths have become fetishized on the internet, maybe rather than perhaps in real life. But I mean, there's all kinds of stereotypes. I mean, obviously, the the big one at the moment is by girlfriend and golden retriever boyfriend. <laughs> is, the, is the is the popular one that gets the, yes, a lot. yeah, the 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 premium pairing. Yeah, and like so, Brian, like you know, the one note character is just you know he's the nerd. He's got a kind of weird energy about him that I actually think like makes him more relevant today <laughs> than he was at the time. Like he does drift into full on nerd territory, but like there are times when he's just sort of like dithering to himself and like I don't know, it just feels very slightly more nuanced than you might expect and like But you have to imagine is that because this is the the, the John Hughes kind of like is this the one that John Hughes sees himself as when yeah. he's like writing this movie? Is yeah. that why this? There's a bit more specificity to, to this one. Yeah, probably. Like you know, if you were forced to cast yourself into them, like, I mean, I played sports, but I was never like, you know, the jock. And like, I guess I was kind of nerdy, but not like getting bullied every day. And like, you know, if, if forced to put myself into one of them, I guess it's Brian. But like. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Because the other four are kind of very extreme. He is, but he isn't, is the thing. He is on the surface, but then, like, yeah, I think he enjoys a sort of greater depth of, of nuanced personality. And it probably is that he's John Hughes writing himself into the movie, but he is still, like, you know. Or at least the one that is going to, like, most align with his experience at high school in terms yeah. of, like, and obviously this is me not assuming that maybe John Hughes was, like, athletic. Maybe he was a bit of a stoner mm. dropout and stuff like that. But, like, if I were to. How does it guess? I would have to imagine that 
probably not to the point of like academically succeeding to the point of like one one f equals a suicide attempt but just in terms of like if he's hanging out with people he's hanging out with like the the, the, the more academic straight yeah, yeah and like he knows the janitor and everything and then yeah so i mean you know they fight they they talk about sex they 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 have the slut shaming versus well they have the slut shaming debate and and everything and you know, John Bender is constantly using sex to make particularly Claire uncomfortable. There's all of that. Obviously, there is a brief fight. Obviously, they they go on a little escape run. Obviously, they get high. Obviously, they do the iconic, the dancing. You know, the 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 shuffling side to side. The the uh, <laughs> three guys in a line, two steps forward, one step back, forward again, much more difficult than it looks. And then Ali Sheedy doing that little shake. All of this emulated by Abed in that episode of Community where uh, Jeff has to drunk dial Britta because she drunk dialed him and it's ruined the social dynamic. And he's like, Scorsese drank with De Niro, therefore I will get drunk with you, Jeff. Just all the stuff you would expect to happen happens, but like all of it is great. And like there's so much, I mean, we keep talking about it. There's so much in here that like it feels like a cliche, but like none of it was then. Kind of thing. I'm, I'm trying to think because this, this probably, in terms of high school things or things featuring high school students, mm. they, I feel like there's not many before this point that is able to be as specific as this like obviously you have things like american graffiti and like happy days and and other such things but like this one feels like this is the template that an awful lot of the teen shows of the 90s is borrowing like unleash the energy of the cast kind of thing like just just fuck around like just have fun with it almost yeah (laughs) well like like, and probably also takes it from a point of view of being like these are shows aimed at children like when you think of like safe by the bell a few years after this and takes it to a point where like we will have primetime shows centered on teenagers who are going through adult issues and like the, the the straight line run from this is like you go like is it breakfast club into your kind of like your your dawson's creeks and your <laughs> and your ocs and then you get to your skins and you get to your yeah. your euphorias and whatnot like yeah. there is like slowly slowly it's all become slowly. a lot more extreme though Yes, it has. Like, 100% and I like, think Skin started that, where they were like, oh, it's by teens, for teens kind of thing, where they consulted real young people. on this, And then you end up with like, oh, they're all at like secret raves and none of their parents ever stop any. And it's like, shut the fuck up. This is nobody's actual teenage experience. They're, this they're is, this is what we aspire to have. But like, they're no all at secret raves, but there's that level of like, you maybe went to one. Yeah. The way, like, <laughs> you got invited to one, you go to it, you drank three Smirnoff Ices, and then you're feeling a little bit unwell. Yeah, but no, and they're all, like, yeah. Every, every weekend, they're, like, doing, like, LSD. And, yeah, they're and, all ODing and fucking, and they've all slept with, like, 15 people each, and, like, you know, it's like, no, this is, this is... This is like porn to teenagers. Like, oh my god, this is what my life will be like one day. <laughs> but no. And you know how I know this is improvised? Emilio Estevez's unhinged little dance number around the balcony. <laughs> His little gymnastics routine. When he um, hotboxes himself in that one room yes, away from yeah, everyone yeah. else. And then shatters the glass in what I assume was a moment just for us in the audience and didn't actually happen, but who knows. But yeah, him like vaulting the bookcases and the punch walking and all of that sort of stuff. It's like, you know, a worse thing would bring in a choreographer and make him do an actual routine. It's like, no, just let him just be weird for five minutes. 
yeah and i f- you know i could we could deep dive into like so many little like particular lines of dialogue and like little acting exchanges and all sorts of shit but like i feel just talking about it in these kind of like broad terms and like the influence it's had and the way it's put together and everything i think that kind of does it like um yeah i mean i i'm just trying to think if there's anything that we haven't talked about that i feel like I mean, there's the so it opens and closes with "Don't You Forget About Me." Yes, um, plays the whole thing and then plays like the instrumental riff over while they're all like arriving, and then like I mean, there is music. There are there are needle drops, but like it's not afraid to be quiet for quite a long time mm. either. Like, and I think I don't know if they're trying to save money. I don't know if they're trying to underline the like it's just five of them in this giant empty school so therefore it is really quiet and boring so like we're gonna emulate that with not constant audio stimulation kind of thing but yeah i mean you know opening and closing with an absolute banger but i mean you know there's the iconic exchanges between like bender and vernon you know you want one more there's another are you done no give me another you know like <laughs> he ends up with eight detentions and it's like again vernon just signing himself up for two months of no saturday he's <laughs> like just just really reaping and sowing and yeah i'm just, I'm, looking, I'm just looking into simple minds now and i'm like is this their big is this their yeah, biggest hit absolutely which is a song written by the people who are composing the breakfast club and then they go to the band and go hey would you perform this song so we had you in mind <laughs> whereas i feel like nowadays you're more like you're you're less likely to have the people who are actually composing the movie write a song and go to a band and more hey billy eilish do you yeah. want to come write a song for me? <laughs> Hey, the weekend. Do you want to do a Hunger Games song? Sure, I love cocaine. Um, I mean, I, I remember listening to the director of Twilight New Moon go through like when obviously the first soundtrack for Twilight was fucking humongous. Like, I think that's this yeah. that's the movie that breaks Muse into the US. As weird as that sounds, <laughs> like when you think about like at that point in their career, they're kind of on the come down in the UK. I feel like yeah, now they're like bigger in America, and we're all like, oh, Muse suck. <laughs> <laughs> And they just live in America. Yeah, um, like Black Holes and Revelations feels like the peak of the band. Like Harp yeah. comes out and stuff like that, and then Twilight two thousand eight, and the British are like, "Yeah, we'll give you like one more like big stadium tour where like everyone gives a shit." And then is it because she like posted like what she was listening to while writing them, and like Muse was like one of the biggest. Muse ones. was one of the big ones, and Muse is in like the and first. Then they become three in movies. the soundtrack, yeah, 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 yeah. And then and then, but like the director of New Moon was going through like I got so many submissions, and that's why the second movie is a bit more kind of like indie core, and it's like Bonnie Vare and St. Vincent mm. and like a lot of kind of like what people in their kind of like 20s and 30s were listening to at that point in time rather than <laughs> some for teenagers but then that has the like the flip sound effect side effect of like massively influencing an awful lot of teenagers into listening to that kind of music and just yeah. the ways in which these teen soundtracks have such like a massive effect over yeah. generational oh, things gotcha. and all the rest. like so much of my musical taste is formed from soundtracks of like you know 80s movies in general and particularly teen movies and yeah so something else just to i think you know again we could dive into so much but like we're already basically at time but like i do like the degree to which they are constantly bickering but they have complete lockstep solidarity whenever the teacher comes in like yes. no, nobody rats on anybody they all like keep up these bad improvised lies like yeah, I, I think I, I really like that part of it. It's like, I, I forgot to bring it up in Terminator, but in Terminator 2, when the T-1000 is looking for them under the guise of a cop, and his friend, without hesitation, just lies to a cop's face, and everyone's like, yeah, good instincts, kid. 
that they all are just like willing to lie and cover for each other and again i think that's kind of where some of bender's softness comes from is like he's been so openly hostile to all of them but he is like so willing to like take the dive for them and everything like that i think again you have to kind of do some of this work for them because they've written him to be just a monster but yeah like he is so desperate for connection and doesn't know how to communicate that and like his way of expressing it is i'll be a massive dick but then i'll be the one that like i'm the expendable one i'm nothing blah 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 but yeah i, I do like the way that they uh they all just cover yeah for i mean other. again again ultimately they're all united on the same way they all have the same and i genuinely cannot believe we made it through this entire episode <laughs> without saying this word they all have the same trauma yes. in terms of it's the adults in their life and the expectation and and whatnot and even when they're talking about peer pressure it's presumably they are being told by society to act in a certain way which is being reinforced by their parents and it's like you're an athlete you hang out with athletes cheerleaders and the popular kids yeah and like his little monologue about how he bullied a kid to impress his dad and then like he does express genuine empathy when he's like i can't imagine what you know larry lester having to go home and explain all of that to his father and how humiliating that would have been i mean still andrew is I would argue maybe the worst of them, but like in that one moment, he at least has some shred of like genuine empathy and everything, and like performing that role for his father's expectations. And you know, Claire says the same thing: like you don't know what it's like to be the two of us, and like you know, just basically saying being popular is a horrible prison. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean yeah. yeah, the scene where he says like he just picked on that kid yeah. at random, just just to the shits and giggles of it, and got like cheered on for it yeah. very visceral flashbacks to like getting changed after like pe <laughs> and just someone just starts beating someone up for absolutely no reason mm. whatsoever and you've got no idea what it is and you're just kind of sat there going like the movie going like it, you would get beaten up worse if you said it but you kind of mm. have to think like if you turned around and said like are you okay like <laughs> yeah. like why why have you decided to just do this like why is this person pissed you off so much that you just want to go beat them and yeah, beat them up yeah. and it's like they've annoyed me by not being what i expect of someone and it just yeah it, it's getting into like like there is a real undercurrent of understanding teen teen life even if it does feel like it's kind of like it generationally maybe a little bit behind in some ways in terms of like as, as always happens with this teen stuff where like the people making it are not the people who actually like they are more writing about their experiences or like what they believe to be the experiences of the, the current generation in that weird way where like millennials will now be well millennials are writing like the fucking creator of euphoria is definitely not gen z and, and... That, the problem with all of the problem they have is that like when you actually do let young people write shit you end up with skins and then when you let fucking 50 year olds try and make stuff that's relatable to 20 year olds that doesn't work either so like it is a really difficult needle to thread to like actually make one of these that feels true to life in which any is, way which is why you end up with like the mis- like the ones that feel weird which is like, as i said like daria where it's written by gen x's but it spoke to a generation of millennials and like mm. sometimes you end up with a a situation like that where like you do accidentally stumble onto mm something that is poignant and yeah or like Judd Apatow making freaks and geeks when you know I don't know how old he was then but he certainly wasn't (laughs) no but he was right he was writing about himself as a teenager which again speaks to an authenticity that is maybe sometimes missing from from some of this stuff yeah I think you just have to get super specific with it and just bring in elements of your of your real life and and stuff yeah I mean the fact that the thing that fucking Sam Levinson is 37 years old and he's writing like the hottest teen show at the moment is just yeah, that's, that's the problem because, like, 
you also need your reps in the industry and like to learn how to write and like that takes decades like no one there are no good writers who are like 18 to 30 like or maybe some very late 20 year olds are like savants but like yeah that that's the problem is you're not you are not good enough at the job and I guess that's what they were going for with skins like hey you come tell us what life is like and we'll make it actual you know <laughs> comprehensible tv but like it that doesn't work either so yeah it is the the tricky thing but uh, definitely an iconic movie that yeah. influ- has has a huge outsized influence for what you think a million dollar movie that gross 50 million dollars would have yeah like i possibly i'm just i'm just looking at what we've covered so far and it is possibly the most influential thing that we've covered so far yeah potentially i'm just i'm just trying to think because i don't think like terminator is just kind of like a cementation of like cameron's career ghostbusters doesn't feel influential other than it's not on this scale i don't think there is in niche circles ghostbusters is like the thing but like it's it's appeal is smaller and there's less things people try and do it but it's a like it's more alchemical like it it's easier to nail what breakfast club did and everything is kind of like riffing on in some ways what breakfast club did but like it's harder to do a movie like ghostbusters and every single one of them that isn't ghostbusters has failed apart from like men in black which i think is like the (laughs) only the only successful version of that movie later I, on and even then it's also got three bad sequels i regret us not keeping men in black on the 90s <laughs> list i think that would have been fun and subversive for me it's the john hughes movie i know some people are like super into ferris bueller some people are really into 16 candles but yeah for me it's always been breakfast club which is One why of... my favorite is she's having a baby uh-huh. uh, <laughs> of course it is yeah, like, I, I, I don't know if... It, it's probably in my top ten of all time. Like, in terms of... For me, top ten isn't always just, like, I think this is really well-written and made. Oh, it's no, it's, pop, it's pop, that, like, emotional... Like, I would just watch this every year for the rest of my life happily. And, yeah. Part yeah. of me is, like, I've got, like, a, here are my ten favourites, and yeah. here are my ten, like, these are the acclaimed movies that I think need to be in. Yeah. Like an all-time list, the and objective are, best, and it's yeah. like, but that doesn't even make sense because no, there's no make objective sense. good these, or bad. These are more the things that I just think, like, yeah. In terms of like my appreciation of them, there's things in these movies that I really appreciate, but in terms of like, here are the ten, yeah. I lay down on a piece of paper and go, like, I could rewatch these. Yeah, for fun. It's ever. it's why we ended up with Empire Records on my '90s list, and you know, this is obviously better written and performed than uh, than Empire Records, but still, kind of the. You know, you see how that moves forward. That is The Breakfast Club. I feel like we didn't talk about it at all, and we also talked about it in more depth than we have anything we've ever talked about <laughs> simultaneously. Next week, though, I mean, shocking guess based on, you know, after what we talked about earlier, but uh, a little movie that would probably give this a run for its money in terms of like cultural influence and impact and like most 80s movie it's Back to the Future very much looking forward to that but yeah that will be next week i'm very much looking forward to it i'll just say it right now there was a point in my life where i was like i'm not saying back to the future is the best movie ever made but if you made that argument i would not disagree with you (laughs) yeah so we'll see how i feel next week until then though benjamin uh you know we have we've done our gdt with this in general but we do have one last responsibility and that is for me to ask you will there be movies yes but only if we don't mess with a bull (laughs) You want one more episode? That's it, one more episode. I've got you for two months, Ben.
That might be literally true. You'll get the horns, Matthew. Still I didn't know